You ready? Yeah. You ready? All right, hold on. Here we go. What's going on, everyone? This is the My Aggie Nation podcast. I'm Travis Brown with Eagle, and in this week's episode, we have a conversation with former Texas A&M quarterback Nick Starkle as he talks about the challenges of heading on the road in the SEC. Also, we'll talk with Michael Katz of the Northeast Mississippi Daily Journal, who will set the stage for the Rebels as Texas A&M heads to Oxford this Saturday. So, without further ado, here is Nick Starkle. What's going on, everyone? I'm Travis Brown with the Eagle, and it's the QB room time again with Nick Starkle, former Texas A&M quarterback and passing game coordinator over there at Corona Del Mar High School. How do we do this week? Uh, we did great uh, this past week. Beat Huntington Beach High School, a league game, got us a playoff berth, and so we've got first round of CIF Division Four playoffs tonight versus Paraclete High School here in our home stadium. Weird Thursday night game, short week, but... <laughs> We feel like we're ready to go. Nice. And sent the seniors off on a good note. Exactly. Yeah. Senior night last week had a great one. I enjoyed celebrating those guys. And and, and we knew, hey, if we play correctly and, and then we win this game, that it won't be our last one. So we're happy to, to have another week. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I know uh, we, we talked a little bit about this on a previous episode, I think, before Tennessee, just away environments. And it, it's a, a good point about what what does an away trip look like for a football player uh you know a lot of talk about bringing your own energy and things like that when it gets to the field but um what is that experience like for a college football player uh going on the road as A&M is going to do this weekend heading out to Oxford to play uh Ole Miss yeah I, I think that the that there's two pieces that are probably the most important in terms of going to an away game and, and how you approach it um, the first one is, is the physical approach. Um, how do you make sure that your guys are physically ready to go? You know, if you're flying, uh, to Oxford, you're not just flying straight there, you know, you're flying into Memphis and then you're taking a bus ride for an hour and a half or something. So it's a lot of time just kind of sitting there after, you know, a tough week of practices, workouts and classes. And so you've got to physically be ready to go. You got to make sure that when you get out, you know, out of that plane or off that bus that so you're kind of going into a stretch sometimes even a little bit of movement like you almost warm up like you would before practice in the hotel which is sometimes a little strange with a lot of people watching you but usually you've got a ballroom or something that you can go do some movement in you know find the athletic trainers kind of to go station and, and get in there get some recovery going um some guys they'd have the pass to go in and hey i'm gonna go get in the hot tub and I'm going to stretch, make sure that everything's all good. I'm feeling good for the next day. The second aspect of that is the mental aspect, um, which is probably the most important is can you lock in, in an away environment? You know, you're not sleeping in your bed. You're sleeping at a hotel that you don't even know really what city you're in because you didn't GPS to get there or anything. And, you know, eating food from that place, how are you going to stay nutritionally balanced? Um, and, and then sometimes if you got an afternoon or a night game, you've got a lot of time in that hotel. And so uh, with Coach Sumlin, we would travel on a Friday night. And we'd get there, and we'd usually have a team movie or something. And then we'd go back to the hotel, real quick meetings, send you off to bed, get up in the morning, breakfast, some more meetings, kind of getting 
mentally correct all your walkthroughs and then you go to the game uh with coach fisher we started leaving on thursday uh, leaving on thursdays i think was a huge advantage for us because now we're used to the schedule we're not running around on game day trying to find uh, where's that ballroom that we're supposed to be meeting in you had that thursday night where you kind of got to lay the land you knew where everything was and then you have all day friday friday if you've got online classes or if you've got homework that you got to work on papers that you have to write tests that you have to take online you get to do all of that and then in your free time you get to go have a little bit extra time in the film room you get to have a little bit more extra time on hey let's talk about our third down packages and and what we really like in third and short and you take advantage of those times that you have with those coaches where there's not really a lot of distractions it's just you guys in that hotel uh family might come by and stop say hi a little bit but you're really just locked into that game. And so I think mentally it gave us a lot more space to get prepared and, and ready to go out and play an opponent on the road because we had that full extra 24 hours there. And then you also got that same game day schedule where you're getting up, final little meetings, let's talk about this one more time, walk through, and then you're going to the game. So I was a huge fan of traveling on Thursdays. I think that was, was great for the program, and I think that a lot of a lot of teams are going to start adapting that style as well. Yeah, well – I mean, it's it's pretty well documented. A and M is on a eight game losing skid on true road games heading into this this game. So there, there's got to be some challenges. What are what are some of the the challenges? Not only in kind of the preparation, but like when you get on the field, because um, it, it, there 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 is something kind of going wrong here as as they uh, ha- haven't really won on on those road games. I think the first thing that, that I always did that helped me um, and I think helped the rest of our team was, was eliminate the distraction. Um, you know, sometimes those can come from within, uh, within, your, within your own family, as bad as that does sound. And so I, you know, hey, we've got away tickets. You've got to figure out, okay, who's going to the game? Well, how am I going to see them? How am I going to do this? And I came up with the set thing. You know, I learned about it my freshman year from Trevor Knight and those older quarterbacks of, hey, look, You've got Friday night in the hotel. You can see your family then for like 30 minutes to an hour. Just hang out with them in the lobby, you know, spend some time with them. Not, no distractions. Be able to kind of let go of everything, hang out with them that day. And then when it is game day, hey, look, this is game day. This is all we're focusing on. And so, you know, I would encourage players to, to come up with a, uh, a method of that. Like, hey, I am going to take my time. I'm going to spend it with my family. They came all the way out here to see me play. Or maybe it's some family and friends that – are closer to this away game and, and and they came into town, spend that time with them, you know, the night before the game or two nights before the game, if you're there a little earlier and, uh, and really embrace that, be able to let go for a little bit. And then when it is time to go, it's time to lock in. Um, one of the other biggest challenges obviously is, is the crowd. And a lot of guys, they'll go into that game and they'll have, you know, they'll have their headphones in, they'll have their, their big beats on and they'll walk into the stadium. They'll start their warm up. And they won't hear or feel the energy of an environment until it is lights are on and we're out there in pregame stretch, padded up and everything. And for a lot of guys, that, that's overstimulating. And that's a lot at once. Now you, now it's like a deafening crowd kind of roar. For me, I would, I would get into a stadium and I would go no headphones, no earphones, nothing. And I would hear it from whenever they hadn't let anybody in the stadium all the way up until that is max capacity right before kickoff, the loudest it's going to be. And it allowed me to almost, it, it almost drowned out the noise. 
I got to drown out the noise, like sleeping with a, a creaky fan. When you first turn that thing on, you hear it and you notice it. And then, you know, 30 minutes into it, an hour into it, you don't hear that fan anymore. And all of a sudden you're sleeping all the way through the night and you've got a creaky fan going, but it's now it's just part of what's going on and, and you no longer hear it. And I think that that is, is definitely a technique that I use that, um, that other players have used as well to, to help navigate kind of a crowd noise and a different environment like that. Yeah, of course. Do you, how much do you hear the crowd, hear individual things that are said? I mean, I know the, the, the press conference answer is, oh, we, we block everything out. But how much can you hear stuff like that as the game goes on? You know, you, you throw an interception, uh, you, you miss a tackle, you come back on the bench. Um, is it still, you, you, you got the mechanism on, or, or, or can there be uh, holes in that? There are definitely times where crowd noise and the things said are a huge, huge um, advantage for a home team and a, and a pretty big disadvantage for an away team. Um, the Probably the most distracting thing that uh, opposing crowd can do is when you are on the sideline after a drive or something and they're just chirping you nonstop <laughs> right there on the bench. And, and especially like Ole Miss, they are right behind you mm-hmm. and you're on that, like you're on that bench. You're trying to listen to your offensive coaches and you've got 10 guys that are just chirping. You guys shouldn't even go out there on offense. Like this is the worst offense we've ever seen. Like, why don't you throw another interception? And, and you do hear those things. And some of those things are hilarious. Some of the things that have been yelled at me from the first or second row, right behind an opposing bench have just made me like crack up laughing. And so I would have to grab a towel and put it over my face and show and not show that I was you know, laughing at them because some of those guys are pretty clever and, you know, they're college age guys and they're just having fun at a football game and they've probably been drinking a little bit. So they are, they are comedic at some points, but at some, sometimes I, I've seen some guys where it, it really gets into their head. And so I think that is an opportunity for me as a teammate to look over and say, Hey man, these guys, they don't know what they're talking about. Let's lock in right here right now. Or, hey, let's get up off of the bench, get a little bit away from them. Let's go lock in on what the defense is doing right now. I think it's it's important for players to see, hey, these guys, they're kind of getting after us right now, chirping us a little bit on the sidelines. So, hey, let's get away from that. Let's go lock back into what's going on you know, in the game. And I think that that's a hard switch for some guys because they'll they'll hear something said to them and they'll be like, hey, that was that was pretty personal. And then they'll all of a sudden start – battling with those guys behind them rather than focusing on the battle on the field that's going on. I think that that is a, is a huge, you know, obstacle to overcome. And that's why they preach the whole time. Like, Hey, look, it's just, it's just noise. We don't hear it. We don't pay attention to any of it, but in practice, it's, it's, it's hard to, uh, to actually, you know, practice those things of saying, look, I don't care what's going on behind me. I'm focusing on the game. Well, that begs the question because I was maybe going to wait later in the video, but I got to ask it now what are some of the funniest chirps you've heard that, that you can say on a family friendly video? Right. Um, right. I've heard a couple times, Starkle, you might as well just punt it because you're going to turn the ball over. <laughs> um, uh, oh gosh. Sometimes the worst chirps are when it's your own fans <laughs> chirping at you. And I was at a university where I had already thrown a couple of interceptions. <laughs> uh, and I think that people are going to know which game I'm talking about. But there was a fan, and he goes, 
Darkle, do you realize your own receivers are wearing red? Don't throw it to the other team. <laughs> and I was just dying laughing because I was like, I was like, man, he's got a point. I have thrown a couple of interceptions <laughs> here. Uh, it does look like I'm playing for the wrong team, but uh, I hear some good ones there, um, specifically. And I might have already talked about this specifically at Ole Miss pregame, just hearing those guys out there. I mean, I don't even know how they were in the stadium. We had still like an hour and twenty minutes till kickoff, and we're just warming up. And they're chirping uh, Christian Kirk and I, and they were just getting after us. And uh, and C Kirk was like, "Hey, let one let one go a little high, and make sure it lands in the crowd uh-huh. against these guys." <laughs> and so we've done that a couple of times. Um, but uh, honestly, it's it's one of the coolest things ever. I I love as much as I love playing at Cal Field. There's not a stadium in the world better than than Cal Field. Like that's hands down. That is the best stadium in college football, the environment, everything there. Being able to play in front of uh, a student section like that is one of a kind. And as much as I love playing at Kyle Field, we love going on away games and being the bad guys. Like it, It's just a change. It's just a change in mentality and a switch of, hey, we're going into someone else's territory. We're the bad guys here no matter what. We're not going to hear a lot of good things. Let's embrace that and let's go against these guys and let's see if we can get that crowd to just silent. And, um, and I loved that opportunity. I loved going into, you know, a, a place like South Carolina, a place like Ole Miss or, or Mississippi state. And after hearing the cowbells for the whole first half, all of a sudden the cowbells are real quiet. They're like, <laughs> all right, here we go. Mission accomplished. Let's now let's finish the job. Um, but I think you got to embrace that. You got you got to like playing these road games because you don't get to, do this the rest of your life. You know, you don't get to go be the bad guy where 60,000 fans are booing you when you walk out of the, you know, when you walk out of the tunnel. And you know, I think that it's a, it's a really unique opportunity. And you bring up a good point there. That was going to kind of be my next question is, you know, one of the away game cliches is you got to bring your own energy. Is, is that kind of where that comes from? Uh, make that a little bit more tangible for me if you can, because I think everybody kind of understands, well, yeah, you're not going to have your fans, so you got to do, but what does that, what does that look and feel like? Yeah, that is, that is probably the most important part of an, an, an away game is bringing your own energy and you're not going to rely on it. You know, a big play happens at home and the crowd is roaring. Everyone's standing to their feet Everyone knows it's a huge down. You feed off of that energy the same way you should feed off of an opposing crowd getting really loud for you. You know, offensively, it's third and long and, and their defense is going going crazy. Their whole sideline's up and they're everyone's to their feet in the stadium. Well, it's also an opportunity for you to go out and shut that down. And so offensively you know we're on our feet when our defense is out there and we're getting these guys going we're fired up you almost have to be like a like a secondary cheerleader on the sideline for your defense when they're up there because it's a quiet stadium and you want that defense to you know get off the field make them punt the ball and so you're firing up your guys you know you're smacking guys on the helmet after they make a big play you're celebrating on the sideline more than you would at a home game because you want those guys to feel the energy of Hey, I'm doing this for all of my teammates here, and this is it. Like the guys that are here on this trip are the only guys that we're worried about right now. And then for our fans at home, and for the guys that that you know traveled there with us, um, it's a huge aspect of bringing your own energies. 
hey, when I'm on or when our team's on defense, I'm not sitting on the sideline and letting the crowd get after them. I'm going to go up there and get these guys up, get them going, fired up after they make a play. I'm the first one celebrating with them and stuff. That's really all it is. And so it takes those leaders on the team to say, hey, let's get off our butts on the sideline. Let's go cheer on these guys because all we got is us right here. It's on us to bring that energy up. Sure. Um, so uh, going back a little bit to the to like the the hotel and the the stuff before. One thing that's always you know had my curiosity. So if you'll have a night game, are guys getting up and watching college game day like the rest of the world? Are y'all getting peeks in? I know y'all have meetings and stuff. Are you getting peeks in here, there, and other games? What is that uh, like, or is it like completely uh, tuned out? Uh, we definitely watch other college games. Yeah. Um, we are big college game day guys. We find the top games, whether it's a big noon kickoff or it's a big SEC matchup that we want to watch. You always have those certain games that, that, that you want to watch, uh, especially if it's an opponent that that's coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, like if it, if there was a night game, uh, on Saturday and, and Bama and LSU are playing earlier in the day and we know, Hey, we've got LSU later in the season. We are watching that, and we're watching it with a purpose. We're mm-hmm. seeing, hey, which guy is, you know, who's their guys? Uh, what what fronts are they running? Uh, how are they handling, you know, man coverage? What's the leverage in man coverage and stuff? So you're always kind of you're watching with a purpose. You're getting a piece of what's going on, um, and then also, yeah, like you watch college game there. Are these guys for us or are they against us? <laughs> Sadly, more often than not, I feel like they're against Texas A&M, and so it's always like, all right, let's go prove these guys wrong tonight. You know, we got the night game and. All these commentators are saying that they're going to smoke us, or we got one guy that's, that's that's rooting for us, and let's go out, let's prove these guys wrong. And so, we would we would do that. We would go wake up early, got breakfast uh, with Coach Fisher. You have a, a morning walk, and so the whole team get out. We're in our you know we're in our our track suits, and and we go for a morning walk just to get outside, feel the feel the air, feel the temperature. If it's raining or something, you know, feel that rain a little bit. Then you're back in. Got a quick couple of meetings. And then you've got some free time. You've probably got like four or five hours just to kind of chill, kick back. Some guys go back, take a nap. Um, you know, I'd probably take like a 30-minute nap, get up, watch some football, make sure I'm staying hydrated, stretch a little bit. A bunch of teammates usually come into like one room. Somebody somebody would bring like an Xbox or something. And you got Xbox going on one TV, and then you got another TV that's going with college football, watching game day, watching those games. And it's a good time just to bond. And to, and to build that brotherhood, you know, you're not, you're not going to be with those guys forever. And so enjoy those moments uh, that you have with them. And uh, I think that that was a huge aspect, especially in 2020 um, when, when, you know, not a lot of people could travel to games, some games, you know, for us, we didn't have anyone. And so that was all we did on game days. If we did a night game, Hey, we were up, we're watching football the whole day, doing our meetings and stuff. And then, Hey, a couple hours before we got to go to the stadium, let's lock back in, let's get our guys together and let's get going. For sure. Uh, real quick, and I wanted to ask well, this and one other thing before we let you go. The first one is, I know we talked about, I think you said one of the best environments you went to was Ole Miss uh, because of it was big crowd. They were there early, everything like that. So let's go with this question. Other than Kyle Field, what was like the what was the best stadium for um, away teams accommodations and the worst if you don't want to say which the stadium was the worst, you can just say what made it challenging. But what was kind of okay. what was the best as far as you know space in the locker room and accommodations for the players? What was the best and the worst, and what were the the positives and negatives of those two places? 
Ooh, okay. I would say best accommodations would probably be, gosh, see Mississippi State, they get you. Mississippi State, uh, we had, when we went there, they were they had just redone their, their home locker and moved it to the other side of the field. And so we actually had their old home locker. Mm. So we had, I mean, like the best facilities for an away team possible because it was their old home locker room. And so we had big locker room. Everybody had their big locker in there, you know, nice showers, toilets, everything really great. Um, the only bad part is that you got to hear cowbells for the next four hours and your ears are ringing after the game because of all those cowbells. Um, the worst, and this team does it on purpose, is um, Auburn. Auburn had, <laughs> and it's got to be a psychological thing, they take out all of the dividers between the toilets. <laughs> and so... <laughs> You're going to sit on the toilet. You've got somebody right next to you, and there's there's nothing blocking the way there. And so I'm like, okay, that's kind of clever. Make it awkward for these guys as they're trying to use the restroom. Um, not a great away locker room, uh, but that was something that stuck out to me. Like, huh? They're they're kind of trying to play some games with us. Um, I remember the LSU locker room was really really tiny, um, right there underneath the tunnel, like tiny tiny locker room and then their showers was almost like they didn't have any plan for the ceiling and so it was just pipes sticking out and there's like 20 showers crammed into like one office sized room and uh and so that was always weird again after the game you're like man this is the tiniest locker room and definitely the tiniest most crammed showers we've we've ever seen <laughs> so they they kind of do things to to almost mess with an opposing team now i've been in the Kyle Field away locker room uh, during the spring game, our team was the one that had to go into the the away locker room. I was like, can we at least like take out the, the side guards on the toilets or something? Can we make it difficult for these guys to come in here? I was like, we are the nicest, most spacious locker room that any team could come into. Like when a small New Mexico or New Mexico State comes and plays us, they're probably like, man, this is better, this is better than our home locker room. And I'm like, we got to do something to, to mess with these guys or rattle them. But I think the twelfth man takes care of that just uh, just fine. I, I will say I, I I had the experience of being a visitor in the old Olson Field locker room, and I, I, I it's kind of one of those ones where you're like, is this like a planted thing or is this just you know a thing? There were dead bats everywhere, <laughs> everywhere, just in lockers on the floor, and you're like, you know, there's bats around. College Station, Kyle right. Field, and stuff like that. But like right. to the extent you're like, okay, so we, we just like took our gear into the dugout and just didn't even use the locker room whatsoever. So, yeah, yeah I, I think I, that bats would probably keep me away from that <laughs> locker room. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So anyway, um, w w w one more thing, real quick. I know it's, we we talked about it a yeah. little bit before, and that is, uh, you know, Max. We talked a little bit earlier this season about what it's like going through a progression and, and how long do you have to have to hold the ball before a, a, a sack gets in there and, and kind of some questions asked of Max Johnson in that regard this week about how do you know that that fine balance between I got to try to make something happen here. There's the, the pockets collapsing in around me. And, and, and he said that there are times when 
I know, listen, I have a little bit more time because if I take a sack here, it's just like an incomplete pass or if, uh, or I, I need to try to make something happen. From, from your perspective, what is that balance? And, and is there times when it's okay to take a sack? So, um, I hear what he's saying and, um, it kind of goes with coach Fisher's philosophy. You know, his philosophy is every possession ends with a kick. And that's something that he ends every single pregame speech with when he's going over the, you know, Hey, we need touchdowns in the red zone. We're not a field goal kicking team. He says, most importantly, every possession ends with a, and then everyone repeats kick. Then he does it again. Every possession ends with a kick. And what he means by that is we always, you know, best thing happens. We score our possession ends with a PAT. Second best thing, we get down to the red zone, we kick a field goal. Third best team, third best thing that could happen is we reserve the right to punt. And without turning the ball over, and, and I kind of think this is what Max was getting at, rather than forcing a pass in there, let's reserve that right to kick. Let's keep possession of that ball. It's okay if we do take a sack because we're not forcing an interception, giving them the ball right here. We can go flip the field and now punt this thing. Now, my my. Re- my rebuttal to that would be, hey, there are certain situations where, hey, you'd rather know where your guys are, throw an incomplete pass, throw it at the feet of the running back, get that ball out towards an outbreaking route and just put it over his head to where he's in the area and you can take an incompletion and not back up you know, from the sticks. Um, now, in a game scenario where it would be okay to take a sack would probably be, you know, hey, we're running four-minute offense. We're up. So we're not technically having to score points. We are up on a team. We're out of field goal range. You know, you don't want sacks in the red zones. Um, but if it was a third down and, hey, we're out of field goal range right now, we're not really going to go for it, even if we just get half of this, um, you know, to a fourth and short, we're not really going to go for it. Um, that might be a situation where, hey, it is okay to take a sack because now they the defense has to choose, are they going to take a timeout? Are they going to let the clock running? Are they going to let the clock keep running? Or – um, you know, really what's going to happen. You could, you could use that strategically uh, kind of with taking a sack. Obviously it's not ideal, but it can help you in that situation. And so other than that situation, I would say, Hey, let's get that ball out of our hands and get it, you know, to an outbreaking route over his head. Or if you've got something underneath, try to just, you know, dirt one to that guy um, in front of him. But I definitely understand where he's coming from in terms of a philosophy as an offense of reserving that right to, to kick every possession rather than giving the ball to the defense. And so as a quarterback, you've probably got about 2.4 seconds um, to make a decision. Uh, if you're holding on to that ball for over three seconds, you're asking those O-linemen to do a lot of hard work and, and, and they're blocking some real good guys up front. And so I, I kind of understand where he's coming from, uh, especially with, with, with the philosophy of coach Fisher and reserving that right to kick. But would definitely like to see a little bit less sacks and, and, and get that ball out. I don't really care about completion percentage. We can talk adjusted completion percentage. That's a real thing. But in terms of completion percentage, hey, I'm fine with you throwing one, just dirting one right there and give us another chance at those sticks. You know, if it's third and eight or third and six, hey, I would. I don't want to be in fourth and 14 where now we have to punt. I'm fine with the fourth and six, and now we have a decision to make if we want to really go for this thing. That's Nick Starkle, uh, former Texas A&M quarterback, always with the good word on what's going on X's and O's with football in general and with the Aggies. He, he's got practice to get to, so I need to get him out of here. Uh, thanks, everybody, for watching. We'll be back next week with a little bit more, and be sure to check the eagle.com for uh, continuing coverage leading up to that A&M game out at Ole Miss.
Thanks, everybody. What's going on, everyone? I'm Travis Brown uh, here in the Eagle Newsroom, but I'm joined by Michael Katz of the uh, Northeast Mississippi Daily Journal, who covers uh, the Rebels out there, the Ole Miss Rebels, where Texas A&M is headed this weekend. Michael, first, how's the week going? And I, I, I was already apologizing to him. I was late for uh, uh, extended revelry for, for the Texas Rangers win last night, so thanks for sticking with me here. <laughs> Yeah, no, I know. I totally get it. Right behind me is my like 2020 World Dodgers World Series like towel thing. That's like the closest I can get to a real banner. <laughs> uh, so I totally get it. Uh, sports sports teams mean a lot to grown men. I found uh, over the years, including myself. <laughs> but uh, no, Ox, everything is good here. Uh, you know, SEC SEC Nation's coming here. Weather's cooled down a little bit. It, it really feels like uh, this is. It, it feels like fall is finally actually here, and this is. It's a hell of a game to really kind of get it going with. Yeah, we'll, we'll get right into what is some of the uh, the biggest storylines for the Rebels uh, heading into this game. I think if you if you look at when when we all looked at Ole Miss's schedule, uh, there was so much variance between was this a six and six team? Was this a ten and two team? Was this an eight and four team? Was this a nine and three team? Like I, I, you could have realistically said any of those. And I could see it happening. I kind of lean towards the eight and four, maybe nine and three. If you win 10 games with this schedule, you deserve coach of the year type accolades because of how tough the schedule is. Well, here we are. And they're, you know, if things break right, they're on the way to a 10 win season. And you look at what's next. Georgia next week, obviously, that's that's going to be brutal. There's there's no way around that. Uh, then you get ULM and Mississippi State, and those are, are very winnable games. And you you look at this game against AM, this seems like a, a a pretty pivotal one because if if you get this one, then you can realistically start to say, is this a New Year's Six team? If you don't, then you start to wonder, does it unravel? Because, you know, last year the problem with Ole Miss was uh, you know, they got off to that great start. They lost that heartbreaker to Alabama, and then it all fell apart. They lost their last four games. Some of them were really, really ugly. This team this year lost to Alabama, too, but they rallied, and they've played really, really well since. If another loss was to happen, would they still respond well, or would it start to spiral? And so uh, I think that just for, you know, obviously wins and losses are, are what matters at the end of the day, but I think that morale wise this feels like a big one because if, if you drop this then you i think you started to think oh no is is it happening again and i don't think they want to go down that road because things have been really good they've won some really impressive games they won an auburn for the fourth time ever which is crazy uh they won that insane game against lsu uh, where there's not a single snap of defense played uh, it was wonderful to watch uh <laughs> and and, uh, you know, they've, they've come back from that Alabama loss in ways that I didn't know they were going to be able to do. Uh, would they have that in them again? I don't know. Um, and they might have to deal with it with when, when they go to Georgia anyway. But, you know, I hate to say that's a loss you expect. And I know they don't expect that. But I think a lot of people around the country probably expect that to be a game Georgia wins. But this is one where... If you want to get to where you think you can go, you really need this game. And I think people around here 
feel that too. For sure. With Ole Miss the past couple of years, they've, they've really kind of separated themselves with their rushing attack with Keyshawn Keyshawn Jutkins coming back uh, and some of the guys they've had in the past. Uh, That run game, at least from an outside perspective, it seems like it's developed over the last couple weeks. Where is that rushing attack offense right now, especially with kind of Judkins seemingly finding his form? Yeah, I mean, it it looks a lot closer to what we expected. I mean, this was the number three rushing attack in the country last year. I think first among all non-triple option military uh, schools. I mean, they they were insane. Judkins... First team all SEC. Zach Evans is his quote unquote backup rush for almost a thousand yards and he's playing for the Rams now. Um, you know, with with Judkins back and Dart's an excellent runner as well, and he brings a lot to the table there. That we just all expected and their whole almost their entire offensive line back as well, that this was just gonna be there was gonna be no transition and it was not that easy to start. They were really struggling to run the ball early. Um it wasn't even that great against Mercer. They struggled a little bit against Tulane. It was great against Georgia Tech, and that's when we were like, okay, it's back. And then it struggled against Alabama. But really, since Alabama, it's looked like the rushing attack. We thought uh, Quinshawn had he had some injury stuff earlier in the year. I'm not exactly sure the extent of it. I know he was in like a non-contact jersey for a while. But I think it was before the Georgia Tech game, and he was kind of questionable to play in that one. But he did. Um, but since then, uh, I think he's he's really found his stride. He's he's had three rushing, uh, hundred yard rushing games, I think, in his last four. Dart has been really, really dangerous back there as well. Um, and you know they don't have Zach Evans anymore, uh, but they do have Ulysses Bentley, uh, who is really you know he's he's carried the load when 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 Quinchon has needed a, a breather. And I don't he doesn't have quite the same role that Zach Evans did last year, um, but. He's a change of pace, and I think that they need that sort of guy. So uh, I think the rushing attack is coming along. I, I don't know if it's – are they going to get to – I think it was like 260 yards a game last year or something. I don't know if they're going to be that sort of rushing attack. Uh, but that is absolutely what they want to be. And this is – you know, it, it, everybody talks about Lane Kiffin and quarterbacks and quarterback development and passing game, but Lane wants to run the ball, um, and, and they are going to stay true to that. And so – uh, this is a lot closer to what we expected. Uh, it's, it's really rounding into form now. Yeah, you, you mentioned the passing attack. Uh, a little bit about Jackson Dart, if you don't mind, and and kind of how he's developed as a passer. And, and to me, it seems like one of the key matchups with really anybody that goes up against AM this year, but especially uh, this kind of offense is AM's defensive front, who uh, is in the tops in the nation in sacks and tackles for loss. Uh, and, and how a returning offensive line uh, is going to handle that challenge. How do you see that matchup com- uh, combined with the, the passing game that Jackson Dart has brought into the Rebels? So Jackson had a really weird offseason because uh, he started all of last year. He had a nice year. He wasn't perfect by any stretch. He, he, he threw a lot of picks, and that was a problem, especially you know when, when it rained, it poured with him. Um, but yeah, I think we all assumed, okay, he's, you know, year two will be better. Well then, you know, they bring in Spencer Sanders and they bring in Walker Howard and we're all trying to figure out what on earth is happening. Uh, Jackson ends up winning the job. Um, and a lot of that was because of his, he wasn't turning the ball over in practice and he would really clean things up and he was in control. And that has been really the story of his season is that he is, 
will he make will will he take a shot here and there that he shouldn't? Yes, but that's that that's you live with it and and you go on. But he's really done a nice job of not turning the ball over. He's not fumbling. He's making the right reads. Uh, he's I, he's in the top fifteen nationally in in total offense per game. Um, he is he is really developed nicely into. It, it's hard to compare anybody to what to what Matt Corral did a couple of years ago, just in terms of really being orchestrating that offense perfectly. You know, Matt was a lot older than Jackson, um, but Jackson is really in charge of, of this operation now, and and he's he's a tough kid. He probably should slide a little bit more, but I think that's why his teammates like him because he's always willing to try to get a couple extra yards. Um, but he's done a really nice job under pressure. And that's why I was thinking about this the other day is if man, Texas A&M is going to attest that because if you're getting pressure from, you know, if you're getting pressured by Auburn and, and teams like that, it's, it's going to get a lot worse. And you, the thing with Jackson is, is when, when the bullets are flying, is he going to revert back? And he hasn't reverted back and he's done a good job of getting himself out of trouble and checking down and stuff. Um, but the offensive line has not been perfect. It, it, it's had its issues. Uh, they've already given up almost, if they, if not as many sacks, almost as many sacks as they did uh, all of last year. Uh, I know that number can be a little bit misleading, but um, so I, I think it's, I, I personally am curious to see what they, what Ole Miss does to slow down that rush. Is it, is it a quicker passing game? Is it, is it running the ball differently? I like because Ole Miss wants to take shots down the field. They're Jackson's yards per completion, yards per attempt are among the best in the country. That's when they're at their best. It's chunk plays, running back up to the line and trying to get another one. AM's gonna make that really, really hard. And so I'm curious to see how he handles that sort of pressure. Uh a collapsing pocket as frequently as he's probably going to have. Is he going to step up in the pocket is he going to try to get out of trouble is he going to try to put on the superman cape uh i'm i'm really interested to see how this looks if it's jackson has done a really nice job this year but this is a very you know alabama was 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 really hard on him this is going to be like that a&m offensively if they've gotten the job done it's usually been trying to find uh, Anaya Smith or Evan Stewart through the air. What's that Ole Miss uh, defensive secondary been like this year, and and how uh, how tested do you feel like they've been through uh, SEC play so far? Well, I, I think that if if we're looking at talent of wide receivers, the closest you would get would probably be like LSU when they brought in neighbors and uh, and Jaden threw for four billion yards in that game. So maybe that wasn't the answer Ole Miss wanted. Uh, but I think that there isn't like a, I wouldn't say you have an, an ace corner or true like guy you look to and say, that's, that's your shutdown guy. But I think they have a lot of really quality bodies. And I, Pete's done or Pete Golding's done a really nice job of, of sort of piecing things together. You know, obviously he doesn't have the personnel he did at Alabama right now. Um, but he's figured out how to make it all work and put the pieces where they need to be. Does he have Will Anderson? No, but he's, he's manufacturing a pass rush in different ways. And so I think that's the coverage is, is going to be that way a little bit too. I, I, I really am interested to see, uh, you know, who do you, do you double cover somebody? Or are you going to leave them one-on-one? 
because, you know, Ole Miss, they've taken some chances, and that's when they get burned. And this has potential for that with those talented wide receivers. So uh, I wouldn't say the secondary is it's, – it's not perfect. The pass defense numbers are getting better for sure. Um, I think the most important thing for them is, 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 is the pass rush. If the pass rush is able to get to max – and I know AM's offensive line is, has had its, its some, some ups and downs. I think the secondary is in a lot better place if, if he's uh, not able to, you know, take his time back there, which I think is probably true for any quarterback. But uh, as as the front goes, I think the secondary goes to an extent. Yeah, it seems to be the same thing for AM this year. So for from you and 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 my perspective on this, I think maybe the most fun matchup in this game is. Jimbo Fisher versus Lane Kiffin. Lane Kiffin hasn't uh, shied away from taking the shot or two or or making the joke here or there. I know he was extremely complimentary of the Aggies in his press conference leading up to this game. Uh, what what do you make of the, the dynamic between these two guys from uh, where you're sitting in Oxford? I mean, it's, it's, it's entertaining. It, it's always going to be... Um... You walk in Mondays for when we when we talk to Lane, and you're always wondering, oh, what 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 what's 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 he gonna say this week about whoever it is? And coming into Jimbo week, we knew that there was gonna be something. Uh, it was a lot more subtle this week, but uh, you know there weren't any direct like jabs, but there were a few that kind of made us like pause, like when he said that he thought AM was the most talented five and three team ever, and. <laughs> And just like little things like that, you're like, okay, like where are you, where are you going with this? But um, I do know that uh, he he does respect him. Are, are they best friends? I I don't imagine so, but I know he respects him. I know he respects Bobby Petrino, DJ Durkin. One, he knows Durkin very personally, mm-hmm. um, and he's he's worked with Bobby Petrino before. I didn't realize this, but back with like the Jaguars in 2000 or something, mm-hmm. he was the quality control coach for Bobby Petrino, offensive coordinator. Uh, Bobby Petrino. So they, they go back a long ways too. I know he has a lot of respect for what Bobby does offensively. Um, I, I think that maybe in previous years, there would have been more of a, uh, maybe more of an effort to like get under the skin. But I think like where this team is right now, I, I think they're, I don't want to say surprisingly focused, but they're very focused on the task at hand rather than uh, the circus act, which hasn't always been the case. Sure, sure. So we'll close it out with this. Uh, I, I, predictions are, are hard and no one likes predictions. So we'll go with this. Where, um, What keys to the game do you think Ole Miss needs to capitalize on if they're going to be uh, successful or, or some of the matchups that you think they need to get the better of? So I, I think that this is, you know, we, we think of Ole Miss in traditionally when they're winning, it's because they're scoring 40 45 points. I don't think it's going to be that kind of game. I think they're going to have to win an ugly one. And uh, they've proven that they can do that. They've won. The Arkansas game was not pretty. The Auburn game was not pretty. Um, But they figured out ways to grind those out. And this feels like another one of those games, just because A&M is just so good defensively and talented. And they've they've got the type of guys that can go step-for-step step in terms of dynamic plays down the field. Um, I, I don't think this is going to be one of those games where they're getting 80, 90, you know, a ton of plays like they would like to with their, you know, they're always at the top of the country in, in plays uh, 
uh, fastest snaps, you know, all that kind of stuff. I don't think it's going to be that kind of game, which is where they want to be. I think this might be a game where they have to win it again defensively. And I think that probably worried people when the season started. Uh, but now it's really the defense has really found its footing. So I, this feels like a game where the defense is going to have to probably be the one to make plays and the offense is just going to have to do what it can and, and, and strike uh, when it can. I, I, I really think this is a big Ole Miss defense game, which is crazy to think about and say uh, when you uh, not you don't think defense when you think Ole Miss. But when you bring in Pete Golding, uh, it changes the expectation, and I think that I think that that the defense again is is really. I think this game is going to come down to them. There's usually one thing that you can guarantee when A and M comes to Oxford. It's going to be a good game and a close game, and it's probably going to be cold and rainy. What's the What's the temperature like out there right now? And should I bring a jacket? Uh, it's actually uh, it, it's warmed up a bit. I think it's going to be like in the seventies. In the afternoon, but of course we got the early game, so it'll be a little bit chillier. Uh, nothing too crazy though, and I think we're supposed to have sunshine. So uh, I, I, I think I think I think we're going to be in a pretty good place. I think that might be a first in all my trips to Oxford because I, I usually it's it's nasty out there. So who knows? Maybe that makes for even a better game. Hey, Michael, let the people know where they can find your work and uh, where they can find you on social medias and and all that stuff. Yeah, so uh, you can find me at djournal.com. And uh, if you want to find me on Twitter or X or whatever we're calling it now, it's uh, <laughs> at Michael L. Katz, K-A-T-Z. That's awesome. Michael, thank you so much for giving us a little bit of your time to help set the stage here. Be sure to go check out his stuff if you want the old Miss angle of things. And be sure to continue checking the eagle.com as we preview the big game out in Oxford. So if you're watching this video, thanks for watching. We'll be back again next week with AM's next opponent. And if you're listening on the My Aggie Nation podcast, thank you so much. We'll be back again next week. It seems like every day, everything just has a way, a way to burst out the seams. But if we don't watch what we're doing, our hearts will get ruined by silly things. Good loving needs a girl, we know that's true. If we want to keep it, we gotta watch everything that we do. Make sure you're sticking with me. Don't wanna make sure.